Um, I mean, I, I absolutely love Malifaux, but one of the things that potentially is bad about Malifaux is you can lose a game in 30 minutes and then spend another 90 minutes continuing to lose the game. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that doesn't happen in God tier. The moment you can't win, the game is done. Howdy friends, Craig here. Today we've got Peter Kane as well as James Doxey talking about God tier, one of the newest games from Steamforged Games. Now, First thing you need to know, because it's funny, this was recorded uh, before uh, Steamforge Games blew up Guild Ball. So you'll hear us talk about Guild Ball, and uh, we had no idea what was coming. Uh, that said, uh, both Pete and uh, James are huge fans of God Tier, and they make a strong case for why you should probably check it out. Now, since recording this, I've played a few games, and it's good. Um, I've ordered it, and... Uh, I look forward to painting it and I look forward to playing it. I especially like how portable it is and how deep the gameplay seems to be. So sit back, enjoy listening to my guests make a case for why you should be playing God Tier. Playing a tabletop strategy game allows you to unplug and test your skills against friends. Every week, Third Floor Wars delivers useful strategies, discussions, battle reports, and reviews to tabletop games like Malifaux. If you want to get better at the games you already play, or discover the games other people are playing, you are in the right place. Craig and Ray welcome you to the Third Floor and the Tabletop Talk Broadcast. Craig here on the third floor. Now, Steamforge Games, the makers of Guild Ball, appear to have yet another hit on their hands. I'm hearing more and more praise for God Tier. My guests are friends of the show and both are kind of in love with this game. Now, Pete Kane is one half of the duo that creates the Rage Quit Wire podcast. It is one of my favorite shows. And Pete was a guest on our recent Good, Bad, and the Ugly Roundtable. So, Pete, welcome back to the third floor. Thanks, Craig. Really glad to be back on and really excited for this episode. It's it's going to be a good one. Well, you've been part of what's been pushing to make this episode a reality. So between you pushing for it and me uh, not seeing James posting Malifaux models anymore, <laughs> I, knew, I knew we had to uh, bring this one up. And uh, for those of you that didn't listen to the uh, Good, Bad, and the Ugly episode, it was a neat roundtable where uh, Pete and uh, his uh, fellow co-host, uh, Chris, and I really talked about a whole array of games. And uh, it was not short on opinions, um, so make sure that you catch it. So, Pete, my question for you, my friend, is uh, what have you been doing during lockdown? Oh, good night, man. I've, I've been painting a lot of models. A lot of them aren't my models. So it's been a lot of painting, doing a lot of online educating because I'm an educator and trying to help my family stay sane. So it's just been a lot of that, but <laughs> mostly painting my stuff. I've painted a lot of God tier champions and been doing a lot of commission work for my local game store, just because local game stores need a lot of help during this time. So I've been doing that. Very cool. Now, my second guest is also not a stranger to the show. In fact, uh, I would venture to guess that James is probably one of the most frequent guests that has been on. Um, he is uh, James Doxey, and he's a top Malifaux player over in the UK. And you can find links to his deep dives and expert roundtable episodes in the show notes. So it's good to have you back, James. Welcome back to the third floor. Great to be here. So same question for you, my friend. What have you been doing during, during lockdown? 
Uh, so I've had one of these odd jobs that, despite not not being anything like an essential worker, I've, I, one of my uh, my work has, has sort of taken off um, quite a bit through this this period. So I've just been working quite quite a bit um, and trying to keep the family sane. As uh, you know, as Pete says, um, it's uh, difficult times, but uh, yeah. And occasionally, I've just started to do some painting again. I've just managed to find quite carve out some time to do painting. So I've, I'm feeling a bit envious of those people who've uh, who've been able to sort of self isolate and get a load of hobby done. I've had the reverse. I've got less less hobby and, uh, and more work to do. It's funny you say that because it's kind of the same thing happened to me in the work that I do. Um, because of the lockdown, we have gotten extremely busy and, uh, I've been probably doing, putting more hours of uh, work in now than I did before then. Um, so yeah, I, I am also envious of people that have, uh, said, Oh, you know, lockdown today. So I'm going to paint three models. I'm like, sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> So, guys, let's start off with uh, how Steamforged explains God tier. So, this is from their website. In a shattered world called the Cradle, players take control of mighty champions as they battle to claim the powerful tiers of perish gods. Their goal? To use the God tiers to gain immortality and ultimate power. God tier is a tabletop skirmish board game for two players. With its dynamic scenarios and pre-assembled, pre-colored miniatures, it's quick to start, but hard to master. Now, what we're going to focus on, guys, are really what I consider the main things that define what is a good minigame. Um, we're going to talk about the theme and the setting. Um, there's a reason we're not just using little uh, sorry tokens moving across the board. We have miniatures, and that's part of the experience. And what the theme and the setting for the game is is, is important to me. We're going to then talk about the pre-game and offline decisions. And this is the things that you do when you're not playing. So how do you get ready for the match? Um, what do you do when you're not playing? Is there um, decisions you can make, list building, things like that? Next, I want to talk about uh, the rules. Uh, are there interesting mechanics? How streamlined and modern are the rules? Probably the most important thing for me, and is something that uh, I talk about all the time on the show, we're going to talk about player agency versus just random or pre-game decisions. What happens in-game and, and the decisions you make in-game, do they matter? Last but not least, I do want to talk about uh, the hobby aspect of it. What are the components like? What are the sculpts like? Um, and so on and so forth. So guys, what we're going to do, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from the break, I want to talk about what the theme and setting of God Tier is. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. 
Howdy friends, Greg here. Nothing makes Malifaux easier than having the right tools. Here at the third floor, we love all the licensed Malifaux goodies from Custom Meeple. Not only are they helping support this podcast, they sell custom-made weird licensed tokens and terrain. They sell it all. Crew boxes, terrain, markers, tokens, and even a 3x3 full Malifaux board. Custom Meeple sells a complete M3E token set covering every marker and token you need to play. Custom Meeple are the source for the official accessories for Malifaux. Everything is designed by hand and authorized by Weird Games. Check them out at custommeeple.com, that's with one M, or follow the link in the show notes. Up your Malifaux game and be sure to tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. If you use the promo code third floor friend, all one word, T H I R D F L O O R F R I E N D, you'll get a 5% discount and help support the podcast. It's valid on everything except retail products and playmats. So as I mentioned before the break, um, I, I'm not saying I won't play a game because of the theme and the setting, but it, it has an impact. It has an impact, and it's part of the reason the games that I have played for a long period of time and games I've recently picked up are, are, are the reasons of it. Part of what keeps me loving Malifaux is I love the theme. I love the setting of Malifaux. What made me pick up Marvel Crisis Protocol I'm a huge fan of Marvel superheroes. So James, let's start with you. Can you kind of give me an idea of, of kind of what this world of God tier is? Yeah. And, and, and I think it, it probably is the closest thing right now, I would say to classic fantasy um, coming out of one of the major distributors. So um, it has a classic fantasy element. You'll be familiar with, with dwarves, with elves, with demons, with undead um, and, and humans as well. What it, what it kind of layers onto that um, is sort of the background around, the the way the world has been shattered so an apocalypse has come to the world of god tier the gods themselves have shattered into fragments and rain destruction from the sky um and what we now have is a race to become the new gods so those god fragments are being collected um by champions and most mortals who try to handle a fragment of a god will burn up they'll be destroyed by the energy but some chosen are able to handle those tears and as they handle those those god tears those fragments of the of the shattered gods they'll um they start to grow both in in size and power um and hence when you you see a game of god tier there will be a giant champion who is both giant in model and giant in the background um and as they grow and gain power they ascend towards godhood and this world is in a cycle so this is not the first cycle um, of God tears. Um, so it's not the first cycle of the gods growing, forming, and shattering, and the, the ages are defined by these these cycles. Um, and that, that's that's one of the elements. Anyone who's read Tom Lloyd's Stranger of Tempest or his God Fragment books, there are some similar themes. Although nice. the setting is quite different, um, there's you know the, the, that sort of you know that was something that really appealed to me about this is the similarity in some of the the theming of that. That's cool. Now, Pete, um, you know, we talk about, uh, obviously, it's we're going to get into the mechanics of it, but we understand now what the conflict is, right? The conflict is, is creating these god tiers and, 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 and the battles themselves. What, what, what forms the crews or the factions? Um, what, what are these different pods that are brought together on the, on the table? Well, it's really interesting because the, the background I just love in the fluff because Sherwin Matthews is the guy that does a lot of the writing for this, and they brought on some other people too, but his writing style is just phenomenal in my opinion. And he's the guy that wrote the Guild Ball Fluff, correct, right? Correct, correct. Yeah, he's, he is excellent. 
And I'd say the the thing I like most about this is everything in the game kind of makes sense the way that the background connects to the actual gameplay. Because when you first look at it, you're like, well, that's weird. You have one really big guy and then a bunch of normal dudes. What you don't understand is that the normal people, they're normal sized and the people that are absorbing or eating some of them or smashing it into their skin. Uh, Shale actually is an interesting wizard character who he believes humans don't deserve. They, you know, living things don't deserve these God tears. So he actually created these rock golems to absorb the God tears as he finds them. So it, it's really interesting because there's no factions. So the way that kind of fits in my mind is I think of it as they're kind of loose alliances as they stumble and com- combat for these God tears. You know, maybe you get somebody like Rangosh who meets up with Black Jaw and says, hey, I know there's some God tiers over here that we can absorb together. Let's go smash these other champions trying to also get them. And then, you know, the winner gets it and they get more powerful and the people that don't get weaker. So it's just this really kind of cool ebb and flow over power and almost like a hero's journey, because a lot of these heroes, the background, they start off uh, a normal life. And then I was listening to, I think it was Singled Out's version, Blights and Boons, where they were talking about Titus, who's one of the champions. And Titus actually ends up getting kicked out of his homeland because of some, you know, ill deed that he didn't fit with, you know, his, his, um, I don't know if he called a city state or, or whatever. But basically, now he's on this journey to get all this power and to try and amend for his wrongdoings. And there's a lot of interesting stories like that. So that's why I like the background of this a lot. That's cool. Now, James, it's one thing to have a really cool fluff and really cool theme. Um, And one thing I'll give credit to Steamforged with their Guild Ball is you read the fluff and then you played the game. So you read about the bo- a story about the butchers. And then when you played butchers, it felt like the story, right? Like it, 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 there was a reciprocation between what was written and how it felt on the on the table. I'd be curious to know if you're seeing that here as well. Yeah, um, I mean, I certainly the sort of the game centers around control. Um, of, so the, the objective X is on the board, which are. Um, where the god tears have fallen, they are the location of the god tears. All of the, the the action is centered on fighting for that for control of that territory. Um, similarly, you know the, the you know the the, the story, um, as Peter said, is around these mighty champions, and these champions feel mighty and epic on 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 the on the board. So it absolutely um, kind of connects that through line. Uh, James, how many right now? How many champions are out there? There are fifteen. Um, so there are fifteen 15? currently, um, okay. and as, as as Pete says, factionless system. So you can combine those up up in any way you would like. And I, I do like that swirling, similar to in Malifaux. You have that kind of swirling alliances and loyalties in Malifaux. You have that in God Tier with the sort of fifteen different champions. Combine them up how you want, um, and there are more on the way. Um, so that sort of starts to expand out. Um, there would have been more out now were it not for the major viral pandemic sweeping the world. But yeah, uh, I, I think there's three that we know about that they're, they're releasing here soon, hopefully. So guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back from this break, I want to talk about um, the pregame and the what I call the offline decision-making. So before you get to a table and you're about to face somebody, what are you thinking about? What choices are you making? What are the decisions that are going to hopefully impact how your performance on the table goes? So we'll be right back.
Howdy friends, here on the third floor you'll find us playing Malifaux and other tabletop games using Mats by Mars. Their mats are scratch resistant, waterproof, wet erase marker compatible, and lighter than neoprene. Their mats use a new material that eliminates almost all glare, which is perfect if you're filming battle reports or you're under some glaring lights. Mats by Mars gives you over 40 designs to choose from. Pick a mat size, pick a printer design, and then choose an overlay for Marble Crisis Protocol, Star Wars Legion, or even Malifaux 3rd Edition strats and schemes. The overlays will speed up your deployment and the placement of all of your objective markers. Until the end of September 2020, you can use the new promo code THIRDFLOOR920 to get a 10% discount on your next order. The promo code is in the show notes. When you place your order, don't be afraid to tell Mats by Mars you'd like a Third Floor Wars logo to be put on your mat at no charge. It's the only way to make the best mat in the market even cooler. Again, use the promo code THIRDFLOOR920 to get a 10% discount. All the details are in the show notes. So not that I don't think that theme and setting are important. Obviously, I do, as I talked about last segment. But um, we're starting to get into things that really will impact whether I'm going to jump into a game and, and honestly keep playing it. And that's um, we're going to start talking about some of the decisions you make pre-game and offline. Probably the best example of this being done right is Magic the Gathering. I don't play it anymore, but I was actually involved in the alpha and the beta of it. That's how old I am. And one of the reasons I think that game has survived 20, 30 years is because for every 10 minutes you play Magic the Gathering, you've got about an hour and a half, two hours that you've thought about it, built around it, and it's occupied you. I mean, the majority of the Magic the Gathering draw, I think, is not when you're flipping cards in front of each other. And I want to get an idea from these guys. How does that work with God tier? So what am I doing before models hit the table? What are decisions I'm making? What are things that I'm theory crafting that uh, will impact, you know, the game itself and honestly, whether I like the game or not? So, James, can we start off with kind of getting an idea of uh, overall structure? So can we talk about um, how do you win the game? Okay, um, so so to win the game, you need five victory points. Um, and a game will last, the, game, the moment someone has five victory points, the game will end. Um, so each turn has a winner and a loser. Um, so when you win the turn, you get number of victory points associated with the turn. So turns one, two, and three are worth that many victory points. Turn four is worth two points and turn five is worth one point. Um, when you get to five victory points, so that could be as early as winning turn two, winning turn three, that's five game is over and you've won. And one of the advantages of this game, um, I mean, I I absolutely love Malifaux, but one of the things that potentially is bad about Malifaux is you can lose a game in 30 minutes and then spend another 90 minutes continuing to lose the game. Um, (laughs) That doesn't happen in God tier. The moment you can't win, the game is done. Um, And that, that, that's one of the, probably one of the core things. The game also has a lot of um, catch up mechanics built into it. So um, although it can be over in three turns, at least it is over in three turns if it's over in three turns. Right. And, and it, one thing I think it's interesting, James, you just mentioned there is there's a, like a bell curve to the points, right? So at the, you, you have small points at the beginning of the game, small points one at the end of the turn structure. And then it sounds like most of the points are scored towards the middle. Absolutely. And you need five points to win. So that can be, you know, you win turn two and three or three and four. It could be you're in one, two and four. Um, it could be you win one, three, and five. So you get to a point, because there has to be a winner and loser, there's no possibility of a draw, and mathematically you always get to a result with a game. 
So Pete, James kind of talked about uh, the points and things like that. Can you explain um, how those points are determined? So at the end of the turn, someone's going to win points, depending on what, which turn number it is. Who, how do we know who wins the points for that turn? Yeah, so you're kind of competing back and forth, almost like a tug of war, where there's the battle ladder on the side, and it starts in the middle. And it kind of, you gain steps for each thing that you do in the game. So for example, in the plot phase, because there's two phases, you have the plot phase and the clash phase. Plot phase is most of your planning and the way you can get points in that usually is by claiming your banner. So putting it down on an objective hex, you get a point for that. Uh, You can, if your banner stays throughout that phase and the next phase, the clash phase, you get another four points. Uh, You get four points for knocking out an enemy champion. You get one point for taking out a follower. You get those points and it goes back and forth. And whoever side of the battle ladder it's on, that's how you get the points for the round. And we were talking before that there's just a lot of strategy that goes behind that because James wrote a great article actually that he he posted on his blog where he talked about, you know, the strategy behind the turn and do you want to win this turn? Turn one, sometimes you don't because it sets you up for turn two. But then also just realizing when you lost a turn and not devoting your resources for struggling to get steps on a turn right. that you already lost, but you start planning for your next turn because you can win that next turn, whereas this one's already lost. So you want to set up your strategy for that. So that's what I like a lot. Out of curiosity, James, you talk about kind of this tug of war, this ladder, right? So let's say, you know, I'm we're on a second activation or whatever it is, and let's say that you're plus four in your direction, right? So the, the, the battle ladder is four points towards you and I score two points. That doesn't give me plus two, right? That just puts you back, subtracts two from yours. So now you're plus two towards you. Correct. Gotcha. So that's the tug of war, mm-hmm. right? The back and the forth. And now Pete, I understand what you're saying where, you know, at some point you're going to go, look, I, it's silly for me to, to put any more resource resources on this. Cause even if I score another three, four points, it's still going to end the turn on James's side. So I, I need to, you know, cut my losses. That's very interesting layer wise. Well, and there is a good thing on a lot of these scenarios, cause there are six different ones. There's a cap to how many steps you can take to your side. So I can't get to like 20 steps. So there's no like overkill here where it becomes unattainable. I mean, at some point it does, but if you get 10 steps, because maybe you used maybe black jaws ultimate, or maybe you used grim guts ultimate. And all of a sudden you're just, you know, all the way down and you're almost 10 steps away from the middle. I can still bring that back throughout a turn just from banners, you know, maybe taking out some followers or a champion. So it's not unattainable, like James said, until it is. So it's not like they can go 20 or 30 steps ahead of you. It caps out. That's that's nice. Um, So, James, can you talk to me about the scenarios? I hear there are six scenarios. Um, The scenario, I assume, lasts all game or is it turn by turn? Scenario lasts all game. Um, there are six scenarios, and they're named for the gods, um, or, or for the so the they're named for the the aspect of the gods. So um, life, death, knowledge, and they're named you know for the god of knowledge. Um, each of those scenarios affects where the objectives are, um, your starting deployment zones, um, and then the one of the one of the really key things at the end of each turn the scenario will also determine some events that occur at the end of the turn. Um, and they will usually be, the events will usually be determined by the loser. So the person who loses a turn nice. will then choose who goes first and second next turn. 
and apply some additional effects. So in the base, the, sort of the, the, the standard demo scenario, the first scenario, life, more objectives. So the objectives will grow out from the center of the board. So you place more objectives, so you place them in your favor. And there's a big debate in, uh, in, in life as a scenario whether you actually want to win turn one. It's probably, actually, to my view, probably better to lose turn one right. and move, place the objective hexes towards your side. Um, so that you've got more more space and you can you know more more places to place your objectives that are at least in theory safer. Um, so you you have this again. It's a catch up mechanic, but it allows um, the scenarios sort of change the rhythm of where you're playing, how you're playing, and losing a turn gives you an element of control over the next turn, which can be quite key. So out of curiosity, James, you and I, uh, we say, hey, let's meet at the game store or uh, let's play some God tier. Um, now, with Malfo, you and I would have said, hey, here's the pool. Uh, uh, I'm going to be playing Rezzers. You're going to play uh, Arcanists, and I'll, I'll see you there. And before that game happens, I know what the pool is. I know what you're going to play. I know what I'm going to play. I'm going to spend two hours of my life figuring out, <laughs> the, you know, like the three lists I'm going to bring, you know, to face whatever, whatever you face. Talk to me about what happens between you and I saying let's play God tier tomorrow and we actually play. What are what are, what are things we're going to decide and think about in that time? So there's an element of, of picking counter picking in God tier. So um, if we were playing in the form you would play in a tournament, you would pick four champions, reveal the four champions to each other, and then pick three of those blind to take into your opponent. So you would be starting to think about well. Oh. So what I would be saying is well. Craig really likes Mournblade, the skeleton that comes back to life. Um, so I think he's probably going to bring Mournblade. So I'll probably put Lawsan in my in my list because she's a reasonable counter um, to Mournblade. And I think where this gets to, and I don't think we're quite there yet, it's a relatively new game, but I, if I had to put money down now, I think where this gets to is reading the meta and what you think other people are going to bring and then selecting the right champions to bring into that meta now in organized play the scenarios are randomized each round you don't know up front what your scenarios are so you're trying to read okay if it's quest that requires quite a fast moving scenario is going to be quest is going to come up that needs a really fast moving um warband so i you know how do i have champions to cover that if we're going to play life that's quite fighty in the middle so what am i going to have for life and then what do i think other people are going to bring and what is the best sort of lineup to match what I think other people are going to bring. If we're just playing on a on a hobby night down at FLGS, actually there's any number of things you could do. You could do picks and bans, you could draft. So you could just bring one of every champion mm. and draft your warbands, alternating picks. There's plenty of, of sort of scope for that and, and ways that the game could evolve in that direction, you know, in yeah, time. And I, I think a lot of the kind of pregame stuff is also looking at what your opponent either you know they're going to bring or looking at if you're in a tournament what four champions they already registered for but there's a lot Ah. with this because there's no alliances there's no factions these champions are just fighting for themselves and getting these loose alliances for this one battle so they're just trying to claim the god tier so i like just i've probably spent the most time putting different champions down on the table just to figure out the different combinations Because when you bring the different four classes, you can bring up to three champions and their followers. You have to look at, okay, do I like being aggressive and threatening champions with slayers? Do I like being more controlling with shapers where I can move the objective hexes or move other models on the board? Do I like just killing followers with my maelstrom? Or do I just like planting my banners down and trying to 
you know, just hold the middle, I'm going to pick guardian class. And I think depending on your play style, you start to lean certain ways. You're never going to bring three of the same class because I think it just doesn't work. Uh, just, right. just because there's so many different ways to win the game, you're not going to bring three slayers. But if you really like slayers, you could bring two and maybe a guardian or maybe two slayers and a, a shaper to help manipulate the board for them. So that's to me where a lot of the creativity and list building kind of comes into play. So James, you got these different pods, or I'm not sure what they call right? Where you have a champion and their followers, right? And you know, I think we said there's 15 of them right now, more to come. Um, is, is the actual model count the same for each one of these? So does it, you have one champion and four followers, or does that vary? So there's always one champion, one banner, uh, and then a number of followers. And that varies from, from sort of you've got Shale, who has one giant stone golem, who is his follower, um, through to um, Titus, the gladiator, who has, um, has sort of five followers. So it will vary between currently between one and five. Um, so you wind up with... Um, you wind up sort of between seven and three models per champion. Okay. And the standard game is three champions aside. So you, in theory, end up between sort of 21 models at the very top end, I think. Okay. All right. That's not too bad. A little bit more of a higher model count than your typical Malifaux crew, but uh, nobody owns just one crew in Malifaux. So let's be <laughs> yeah, honest. And, and the way that balances out is because each model only ever gets... Well, I shouldn't say model. Each champion and follower unit gets two actions per phase. So oh. it doesn't matter if you have one follower or if you have five. That unit only gets two actions. They just do the same action. So if I have four followers, two are not going to do something that turn. They, they, they could because what you do is if you do, let's say, a movement action, the whole unit gets to move three. Okay. okay. You can also put small followers in the same hex. And that makes your attack stronger the more followers you have in one hex when you do an attack with the unit. So there's a lot of placement and strategy that goes behind that. But then you have to be careful because a lot of the Maelstrom guys can knock out followers that are in the same block. So you might be giving up six points if you stack your followers into one hex. So Pete, one of the big decisions a company has to make when they make a tabletop mini game is, uh, is it going to be a grid system or is it going to be a tape measure system, right? Yeah. Um, obviously, God tier has hexes. Um, is there anything that you see as a benefit? Do you think that, 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 that that's the only way this game could have gone? Do you like that it's a hex-based system or, um, or are there things you miss? So... I actually was hesitant to play this game because it's a hex system. I've never been a fan of hex systems. I've played some chit games back in the back in the past, and those are okay, but they're mostly get my historical fix. But I wasn't a fan of hex games, but seeing the way that this played, because I played um, Warhammer Underworlds, or whatever the version yeah. is called now, and I didn't, I didn't like that game. It was more of a card building mechanic. And I was like, this is, you know, it, it, it was a card game with really expensive tokens. Yeah, exactly. We've talked about it before. And this is not that this is probably what Underworld should be. Uh, there, there's a lot of strategy behind the movement. There's a lot of blocking you can do a lot of positioning, a lot of feigning where you can pretend like I'm going this way and then swing hard another way. So, and it's a small board. So I like the fact that I can sit down at 
just a table at a card store. It doesn't even have to be this huge, you know, three by three or four by four, or God forbid you're playing 40 K and it's, you know, that table, but yeah, you can just sit down at a card table and just play and you sit down move your models. I don't have to stand up. It's, it's a very comfortable playing game and, and there's way more strategy to it than I thought there would have been because I've played tabletop with a ruler for decades now, sadly. <laughs> what was your take um, on uh, on the uh, hex system, James? Yeah, so I mean, I, and I was I, I'd also played some Underworlds um, and converted most of our local players who converted to to God to actually converted from Underworlds, um, which was quite yeah. interesting. The, the key to converting an Underworlds player seems to be Tom, you don't have to buy models you're never going to use just to get some cards, and instead of rolling <laughs> two dice looking for fives, you're rolling six dice looking for threes. Um, yeah. Tends to be the, the the easy sort of one line pitch for, uh, for to, to a shades by player, but the yeah. um, in terms of X grid, I mean again and, and a lack of you know there isn't a lot of terrain on a board, so so that that sort of coming from Malifaux is a lot of terrain. Um, I was quite hesitant. I think the thing that sold me on this kind of once I um, sort of sort of once I, I, I got a demo of it is it feels like you've had a proper battle. For nice. a game that has at its top end 21 models aside, and, and it's not normally, it's more like 15, 16 aside, it feels like the same feeling I would get having had a proper sort of, you know, Warhammer Fantasy Battles throwdown with blocks wow. of units. You actually get quite a feel because of the, the blocking that Pete talked about, because of the, um, the, the sort of the way the way models move around each other and you use, you know, you use your troop, you know, your followers to screen um, and to strike and, and sort of the, the positioning elements. And it actually feels at the end of a game, I feel like I've had a proper battle rather than a skirmish. Um, and, and some of that is linked into, you know, hexes make the moving very clean, but the fact that the, the way the units operate, um, I almost wish that the followers, the followers are probably 25 mil, I would say models. Um, yeah. I kind of wish they were more like, rather than being one follower on a base, I kind of wish it was more like a 15 or a 10 mil and there were maybe half a dozen on a base and you actually got the sense <laughs> nice. of a full unit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, the, it, does, it does feel a lot more like a battle. So if you're looking for a, a skirmish game that still feels like a battle, this is, this is probably your sweet spot for that. Yeah, and they do a good job of, because the hexes are the objectives and they're in the middle of the board, maybe on a flank or the middle but that's where the action is dictated. So you really do get that feel, like James said, where you have these champions that are really like punching it out and they're swinging for the fences and they're throwing followers in the way to, you know, do their bidding. And the followers are just trying to, you know, survive out there and maybe just try to, you know, get their little stabs in. And the followers aren't junk units either because I've seen followers, I think I was playing Rodri the other day and Sneaky Pete's Sneaky Stabbers came up. And they almost dropped Rodri in one swing, and and that doesn't usually happen because he has a lot of armor. Yeah. He's a dwarf, so there's a lot of usefulness in all of the things you bring, and that's where a lot of your list building comes into play. Because you're like, well, if I see this, I'm going to need that, and if I want to counter this champion, which I'm probably going to see, because even now early on, there's a lot of champions that you're starting to see brought a lot. And one of the and one of the things for me is going back to the sort of the question about sort of headspace time outside of the game. Um, I spend more time, probably less, it's less about evaluating what's coming up, although there's a lot of that. Um, I spend a fair bit of time evaluating what has happened. Um, so at the moment, there's a free 
um, so we're all in lockdown, not doing a lot of face-to-face gaming, but there's um, a free mod um, on Tabletopia, so you can go play the game virtually. It's supported by Steamforge, so it has the models in digital form on on nice. the game. And I record those games, and I can go back, and I can spend half an hour, 45 minutes, looking at a position in that game and going, the movie's here. You know, I, I can see the board. I can see what's going on. I can go. I can spend 45 minutes going, what was the right move here? You know what? What should I've done this or that? And you can almost get into if you've ever watched any if if you if you ever watched any chess sort of analysis, um, yep. you can get into the sort of the you know if I go there, he goes here, and then then I go there, and you can really get into the sort of the, the post game analysis. So one of the the places that you can spend a lot of headspace in this game is, is the evaluation of a position um in the game and and that that that's something the hex based grid aids because you can it's very easy to see what the possible moves were but picking the right one um and sequencing that down and sort of looking at the the probabilities and the way it falls is is somewhere i really enjoy spending some head time in this game so it's funny um the question that i needed answered on this podcast and we're getting close to answering that um is there's certain certain things i knew um, I knew that this game uh, had layers to it and depth to it. And the reason I knew it is because Pete loves it and James <laughs> loves it. <laughs> because one of the things that the three of us have in common is if a game doesn't have both of those to some degree, it's just not going to keep our interest, right? Um, we might play with some mates over some... Well, you know, and you know me, Craig. I like to jump around from game to game, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I, I've heard that before, and there's a term I've used towards it, but we won't put it on the podcast. It's PG, being a family PG podcast. friendly, yeah. <laughs> this one PG. Last thing, guys, before we jump into game mechanics after the break. Um, now, obviously, the shortest number of turns is three, right? Because someone can hit five theoretically in, in three turns, but it caps at five because somebody has to hit five by the fifth turn, the way the numbers work. Um, can you give me a range, James, in the amount of actual game time there is? How long does it play from three to five turns? So, I mean, I've played a five-turn game in 90 minutes under time conditions. Okay. Um, I mean, that, that probably is on, on the outside. I think if you budget, um, it, you know, it, it is a full-size game in the sense that it doesn't play quick in, in that sense. So you're probably talking a couple of hours. If you budget a couple of hours, sometimes you'll be done in an hour, hour and a half. Sometimes you'll be, mm-hmm. it will take a couple of hours. You know, play, I played it under time conditions with two and a bit hour rounds and I had no problem finishing five turn games in, in that so if you budget a sort of a normal Malifaux or war gaming amount of time you'll, you'll be absolutely fine on god tier and sometimes it's like i say sometimes it's well under that if one of you if one of you gets you know smashes it out and wins in three turns cool um and it's done a bit earlier very cool well guys let's take a break when we get back from this break i want to get a little bit under the hood here i want to get in a better sense from these guys we're not going to teach you how to play god tier on this podcast what i want to learn from these guys is what are some things that are unique what are some mechanics in the game um that maybe they've never seen before or haven't seen implemented in the way that uh steam has done it here and uh what do they love so we'll be right back Hi there, this is Owen from the Nova Open, and I am a $5 patron of Third Floor Wars because I love supporting the whole Malifaux community. I want to help Craig and the whole Third Floor Wars team continue making the fantastic content that gets me through my daily commute. You should join me in supporting the show. Just pause this episode, head to patreon.com and search Third Floor Wars, or grab the link in the show notes. See you there. 
What is it worth to you to get this podcast on a weekly basis? Is it worth a dollar a month? $5 a month? $20 a month? If you'd like to help support the work that we're doing here on Third Floor Wars, please go buy our Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thirdfloorwars. There you can pledge at any level, any dollar amount. Whatever you give us will help us put out quality content on a regular basis and hopefully make tabletop gaming a little bit better for you every week. The reason we're able to bring you this podcast every week, as well as all of the content on our YouTube channel and via our Twitch, is because of the 110 patrons that help support us. I want to give a special shout out to these patrons who are the ones that have given us the most since the start of our Patreon. So big thank you to Nick Westbrook, Craig Chuba, Kevin Smith, Stephen Morris, Sam Newman, James Hahn, Ambrose Ingram, Jeremy Peace, Corin Soles, and Carl Lee. Because of you and the other 100 patrons, we're able to do what we do. Thanks. Well, I was very pleased to hear, um, you know, all of the neat things that are going to do uh, before the game and, and offline. And uh, James, I like your term, the headspace, right? What, what, how's this game taking up your headspace when you're not actually playing it? Um, but I, that's a concern for me always as well, because Warhammer 40K, the game is won or lost in that period of that we're talking here. In my opinion, the game is won or lost before the game is played. It's won and lost based off of, the, you know, the the decisions the players are making for the list building and all of that, that often by the time dice start rolling, you really kind of know which way things are going to go, right? The only thing that's going to maybe save you is uh, some drastic mistakes by your opponent or some huge dice swings. So um, I like having decisions matter at the pregame, but where I really want them to matter is during the game. And we're going to have a whole segment on player agency, but I want to talk about mechanics in game. So James, um, now that we got a feel for how the game plays, what are some specific design choices or mechanics in the game that you as a seasoned player went in and saw that's cool and it's kept you playing? Yeah. So we've talked about all the win condition stuff, but I'll just touch on that. You know, that that for me is brilliant. You know, no draws. There has to be a winner. Yeah. Um, and the game ends when it wins are real positives. Um, that aside, I think, so when you, um, when you see a God Tier Models card, um, it's double-sided. So you have a plot phase side and a clash phase side. Oh, so okay. two phases in each turn. Um, you have different abilities and different stats in the different phases, potentially. So your move may be different. A, cha- a champion or a follower unit's move may be different in the different phases. They can do different actions in the different phases. And that sounds like it'd be confusing. Um, when I've demoed God Tier to people, um, generally halfway through the first turn, I'm no longer demoing. They're just playing God Tier. That's huge. Um, that's good. And, and that's, that's great. I can just wander off. I can get them, I can get them, if I get them halfway through the clash phase of the first turn, they can just finish the game themselves. Yep. That's, you know, they don't, um, so, mecha- you know, mechanically, it's not complex to figure out how to do anything. The, 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 you know, the, the time is all in the strategy of the game. But that two-sided thing, we have different stats and different abilities in different in the two different phases, leads to some really interesting stuff. So, you know, Pete's talk about talked about his namesake, Sticky Pete the Goblin. Um, his main thing is he can stab you in the plot phase. Not many people can do that, but he'll run up and stab you while you're still planning. Um, so, so that's his sort of thing. Most people can't fight in, in the plot phase. They're busy 
potentially moving a bit further than they would in the clash phase, so setting up, positioning, dropping their banners, which is, again, something you can only do in the plot phase. So that kind of duality, the two different steps of the turn, is quite unique and creates some really nice tactical challenges. It does occasionally create an, oh, for goodness sake moment, where you realise, <laughs> oh, I've just been setting up to do a move that I can't do this phase. <laughs> so there's some nice stuff to trip yeah. over there, but um, but it's... Uh, it's a crack. It's cracking for that that duality. I really like that. So that's interesting, James, because I've we've seen the card flip mechanic before, right? So like uh, the other side has it. Um, uh, Shadespire has it too, I think, or uh, whatever that game is now um, today. Um, and uh, Marvel Crisis Protocol does, but in 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 the cases of uh, the other side in Marvel Crisis, because I'm familiar with them, it's a different um, level that happens for that. Uh, unit right so the unit gets better or in the case of marvel crisis protocol the, the unit gets injured and, and becomes worse in its second and its second phase whereas this the card flip happens based on which stage of the game you're playing i don't think i've seen that before so that's very interesting and that's how you mark whether something's moved or not right oh, it's right. very elegant in the sense of course you know you know which side up is if it's the side that's the current turn it's still to go and if it's the side that's that's the next phase it's you know it's um it's the side that hasn't um so yeah, that, that element of like you say, it's not a different phase. It's the it's not a different state of the model. It. It's just what phase it is. But it, that that creates, and it really helps bracket the two phases and make you know and, and create that kind of that kind of balance. The sort of the plot phase, the setup um, of the turn, and then the clash phase, the um, the sort of the combat and the resolution. The game sort of get, the game feels materially different in those two phases, which Very is really nice. You've got a really two, really interesting sort of two phase of each turn. And the other thing I'll just quickly touch on before I let Pete in, um, the um, the ultimates on the champions. So the champions have once per game abilities and, and those things are really epic when they go off um, that fundamentally swing swing the game. And so timing your ultimates is great and using them at the, at the right moment to, to sort of swing the game and sort of trying to go, trying to sort of stay ahead on ultimates and not, not blow your right. ultimates too early and then... And then and then your opponent's still got theirs to come devastate you with later. So that the sort of there's some wonderful play and counterplay which feeds into sort of the chess-like nature of of, of of the game at points that I was talking to. About that's that's earlier. interesting. Now, Pete, um, being uh, my armchair designer uh, head, kind of starts clicking here as James is talking. Pete, I would imagine there's some really neat design space um for each of these champions and followers based off of that flip right where you could have some that are really good in one phase not so good in the other or maybe the champion excels at one phase and the followers i mean is that have the designers been doing that really taking advantage of the design space that offers oh yeah there's there's a ton of the especially you'll notice on the plot phase side a lot of times the shapers that's where a lot of their stronger abilities are because they're kind of manipulating the board uh, same thing with the guardians. I, I think most of the guardians cool stuff is on their first part of it because that's them kind of maneuvering around and, and trying to get their banners down. And then obviously on the clash side of it, that's where the maelstroms and the slayers usually shine. Uh, obviously it's not limited to that because I think another thing Steamforge does really well with this is you only have four classes and you have to design each champion to fit that class, but also do it differently. And right. they do that really well with a lot of their champions. And the one I kind of think of when I say that is in the Maelstrom class. Typically you're like, okay, well, Maelstroms want to kill the followers to get two points instead of one. So let's make a cool ultimate where they kill lots of followers. And you could easily do this like burst effect, or you could do hit multiple hexes, which they do on a couple of them. 
But then you look at a character like Grimgut. And Grimgut is like the great unclean one. He's this, you know, kind of fat blob of just decay and sickness. And and he likes to kill followers, but he only gets one attack. So it's like, how do you kill multiple followers if you only have one attack on your clash phase? Well, his ultimate, he gets to eat. It's called Nom Nom Nom. <laughs> he gets to eat a bunch of followers. I think he can eat up to three of them. And then he also has his followers. They're called the Wretchlings. They look like little boogers. And they actually can target multiple followers in hexes. So you're not necessarily killing all the followers just with Grimgut. You're using his five Wretchlings to also gang up and kill things as you kind of go through the turn. And and he also is a lot of positioning issues for people because you can use the Wretchlings to block people off with one of his abilities. It's called New Spew. He can just spew out a new batch of five Wretchlings just by removing them all from the table. Nice. And that lets you block hexes or just put somebody in a box. And that's what I really love with what Steamforge is doing is that they have all these classes. There was only four, but each champion has a very different feel to them. Well, and you have to, uh, you have to set those parameters in order to keep the game contained. Um, but it sounds like they've got some nice flexibility. Uh, Pete, is there any mechanics? And we understand, you know, some of the mechanics that really uh, hooked James. How about for you? Is there one that one or two mechanics that have hooked you that we haven't talked about? Yeah. So the one thing that is really, I really love, there's two things. One is with a lot of the actions that you have, there's these hidden hit, um, hit triggers. So if you hit with this action on an enemy model, you have to hit. So you have to meet whatever their dodge is, but it triggers something. So it's not always about doing damage. Maybe I want to hit to move them a hex, or maybe I want to hit to put a blight or a boon on them, which is either a well, obviously, it'd be a blight on them, but put a negative effect on them where it might reduce their armor or something else. So the hit stuff is really kind of cool. Plus, they started switching in some new hit triggers uh, like Sneaky Pete. If he hits a champion, he automatically puts a wound on somebody. So they're playing around with that and putting some real, really nice kind of just subtle tweaks in the game. And then the other one that I really like is besides the uh, hit triggers is just the different class systems and how just choosing the different classes really can dictate a game. Because I've seen it where if nobody brings a maelstrom, everybody's kind of going around, they're doing their own thing, followers are being a pain in the butt. But it went, as soon as one person brings like a maelstrom class onto the board, you really have to be conscious where you're setting up your followers because you don't want to feed somebody eight to 10 points in a turn, depending on which Maelstrom uh, character they brought. So the class system plus the hit hit mechanics that they have with a lot of their actions just have been really interesting uh, gameplay for me and playing around with. So James, I have a question for you. Let's uh, fast forward two years from now. We're going to speculate. Two years from now, uh, you and I are on the podcast and I say to you, man, James, remember how good God Tier started? And just how it, you know, now now we realize it's a terrible game after these two years. I'd be I'd be interested. Like, where do you think there's a chance that this game could could lose, um, could fall apart, could uh, pull a privateer press? However you want to look at it, what, what are some potential <laughs> potential things that could happen or that could be exposed in the game that you think would uh, hurt your love of it? So I mean I think I think stagnation is a risk. Yeah. Um so I think you know I think that can be mitigated through new scenarios. Um I think as well so so in a factionless system 
um, there's a lot more combinations possible. Um, and as, as Steamforge bring new models out, they've already said, you know, sort of at some point down the line, there will be rotation. Um, I think if they get the balance wrong in that, that could be, that, that could be an issue. I think the core of the game is incredibly solid. I think where, where the risks are, and it's probably the risks around any new game that comes out is around their organized play. Um, I think they're, they're currently for my money, probably slightly over, there is a campaign system. I think they're probably slightly overemphasizing the campaign system and not emphasizing the sort of the ability to do competitive play with this yeah. quite enough. So I think the risks are probably kind of business model, some of the standard business model and sort of organized play and kind of freshness risks that you run. Um, but the core of the game is incredibly solid. Yeah, I was going to say there's a few things I think they can do to keep the longevity and I think Steamforge could easily do it and they have great people working there that I think will do things like this. But as the game kind of goes, I would expect two years for this game to still be around. But as it kind of starts to get a little stale, there's a couple things you could do. You could include um, obviously more scenarios, but something else you could do is a different class. Yeah. So and you could also include a different win con not win condition but different ways to earn steps right so there's different ways they can tweak that and i'm not going to stipulate what it could be because that's you know ifs and buts but i I think it'd be easy to do that in this game to create more to expand on top of it so i don't think that would per se be an issue plus as we see broken models like some people are complaining about rain gosh already uh as it if it continues to be a problem it's like okay we're just going to rotate this out you can still play it almost like the uh I don't know, as Malifaux called it, the dead man's hand yep. or whatever. You can do it almost like that, where it's like, okay, this model was a problem. You can still play them, but for competitive and you know campaign or whatever, we're going to bookshelf them for a little bit. Well, I appreciate the fact that it sounds like Steam Forge was up front and saying like, look, at some point there's probably going to be a rotation and they, and they kind of let you th- let you know that out of the gate as opposed to spring it on you, you know, halfway through your investment. And, you know, one of the things the ad said, the ad said it's a be a way away. And they have also said with that, 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 when they rotate stuff out, that stuff may well rotate back. So it, more about creating a diverse pool. And I think to people who listen to my views on, on Malifaux organized play, I'm up for more ro- generally up for more rotation. I think any kind of rotational elements, changing scenarios up, changing combinations of, of models available to people tends to, to freshen the game. So I think keeping the content and because this game is slightly more linear in the sense that there, there are, you know, there are six objectives um, and a fixed number of champions. It is going to need, whereas with Malifaux, you get content injections twice a year. Yeah. I think with this game, this is going to need more frequent content injections if it's going to maintain its its place as someone's kind of core game. There's no reason that that, that can't happen. There's no particular, you know, there's nothing to stop that. But I do think that will be, be something that will need to happen. Steamforce will need to get right in order to keep the game on, on the straight and narrow. So um, last little bit before we take a break, and James, I want to start with you, but Pete, I'll be interested in your thoughts as well. Um, there's two things the three of us have in common. One, we all think Guild Ball was a great game. Um, I played it heavy. I know, James, you did. I know, Pete, you did. Um, the second thing we have in common is we don't play Guild Ball anymore. Um, so I'd be interested, um, and it's just the same company, right, James? So what are, what are some things we hope they learned from Guild Ball that they don't make the same mistake with, uh, God tier? 
this is probably a bad, that bad time to me for me to say I've played Guild Ball precisely once, and that was when Matt Hart demoed it to me. Why on do the I remember you being a Guild Ball player, James? Isn't that funny? Um, so, oh, um, well, I don't need, uh, you know, I don't need your opinion then. <laughs> 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 no, but what are your yeah. thoughts, James? Um, so I mean, you know, so I'm an observer of Guild Ball. I mean, it's always struck me as being a fantastic game. It just wasn't for me at the time. Um, and I did back it up on Kickstarter. I think I've still got somewhere in my pile of shame is the original Guild Ball Kickstarter still in its in its package. Um, but the, I, I think, Guild Ball probably from the outside suffered the risks that. I'm going to go back um, a little ways. Um, something like Uncharted Seas had where. You get Uncharted Seas was a bad game. I'm really clear about that. But the I think the um, it's not often I would say that, but yeah, it would be a bad game. But there's an element of we're just going to keep adding more fleets to Uncharted Seas, and that that kind of and I think there was an element from the outside um, with Guild Ball where you get this um, there's this sort of a limited you know there's a limited kind of linear direction. You can only go so far because in order to expand a guild. And add guilds, you kind of reach this this point where the scaling becomes too too much of a multiple. But again, like I, I'm in no way knowledgeable about <laughs> guild balls. So everything I just said could be completely wrong. Well, I I think the biggest problem with guild ball is just th- there was just this huge spike in just these ridiculously kind of powered models, and then just looking at guild ball, the the problems that you start to have with that is well there's only so many ways to score 12 points and you're either killing people or scoring goals. And then on the competitive ends, there's so much standoff and there's so much, I'm going to capture one of your models. I'm going to jail it and it's not going to move and it's not going to die until I want it to die. And now you're going to be down in activation. And if that was your captain, that's pretty much the game. Right. So there was just so much unforgivingness of the game of guild ball that when you made that one mistake, the game was over. And the difference between God tier and that is God tier, like James did a great job of talking about is just, there's a reset mode each turn. Yeah. It doesn't matter how bad your previous turn was. Yeah. You're probably going to have to spend an action to either rally or recruit your stuff back. Because even if you lose all your followers, you can still recruit once per phase to bring them back. Right. So, that's the beautiful, and actually, you have to recruit at least one. You have to have at least one follower on the board when it's their activation. So that just prevents a lot of the negativity that you would get with Guild Ball, where there's just the top end competitiveness. Just was a lot of times it wasn't fun. Like when I, I'm sorry, I I love Alex Botts and some of the Chicago guys, uh, but they are hyper competitive to the point where you can be sitting there turn three and four and almost no engagement because you just play this threat game, right? And, I'm like, I'm the kind of guy where I got bored. I'm like, you want to know what? I don't care if this is the suboptimal play. I'm going to come punch that model because I'm tired of looking at your face. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, it'll be interesting to see um, how they dodge that as a company because um, they are some smart designers. Um, I have sung the praises of Guild Ball um, on this podcast before. Um, so it uh, it makes me excited. So, guys, we're going to take one more break. When we're going to get back from this break, we're going to talk about the most probably the two most important things for me, which is player agency. Um, how much are the decisions that you make in game and how much do they matter? And then I also want to talk about the hobby aspect as well. So we'll be right back.
Howdy friend, Craig here. Is this episode making you realize you need to buy some models? Gadzooks Gaming is my favorite online retailer because of their large selection, killer prices, and great customer service. Don't you hate buying an entire crew box when you only need one model? Gadzooks sells crew box models individually and saves you a ton of money. They even have free shipping to the US and Canada if you spend $100 or more. Swing by gadzooksgaming.com and make sure you tell them Craig from the third floor sent you. All the details are in the show notes. I purposely structure this podcast to go from things that matter the least to me to really the things that matter the most. And this is, this is the stuff that matters the most to me. I, um, Again, if you're a listener, you know this. Probably the number one thing I like the most about Malifaux is that the decisions made as the game is being played decide who is going to win. And I will venture to say nine times out of ten, the player who made the best choices will win the game of Malifaux. Um, There's enough mitigation of of randomness in the game, and there's enough balance in the game that I I truly believe that that's, that's true. You guys talked about the hex thing turning you off at first. Uh, it turns me off. I'll be honest with you. So I was in the same thing. And dice. Not a huge fan of dice. Not anymore. Um, and where I'm okay with dice is Marvel, Marvel Crisis Protocol because, quite frankly, that's my beer and pretzel game. It's the game that I don't spend any headspace thinking about. I don't spend any time thinking about what is the best combo between Thor and Captain America. What I do is go, I want Black Panther and I want Thor because that's cool <laughs> and I don't care if I win, you know? Nice. Um, and I want something exciting to happen and dice is great for that. Um, so for you, Pete, where... What has Steam Forge done to to make me happy? What have they done to make sure that the person who makes the best decisions has a better chance of winning this game? So you'll probably be happy to hear that the dice do seem random in God tier sometimes, but I'll say that when I've made actions in God tier, the dice have never screwed me over more than a bad flip in Malifaux. Okay. So Honestly, most times when it's like, okay, I'm probably going to get three hits on this, you most times you're going to get it as long as you set up the dice against their evasion well. And if you really want to swing that in your favor, you could put a, you know, a blight on them to help mitigate that roll a little bit. Yep. So there is some controlling there, which helps with the dice. But the big decisions for me are the actions, because like I said in, in the previous segments, you only get two actions per champion in each phase and two actions per... Um, the followers in each phase. So that's where the player agency comes in because you want to use your actions most efficiently and make your opponent use them not as efficiently. So the best example I can use about this is I actually just, I played a game with my son and you know, he got mad and quit, but he actually ended up doing some really cool things. But basically after you you crushed his soul, like a good father does, I I crushed his soul for doing what I'm about to tell you. So so we were just playing and I was, you know, he went first and because he lost and it was change. So what he did is in that scenario, the loser gets to move so many hexes. Well, the previous turn, I've planned it where one of my champions was next to a hex. So I could just put my banner down. Well, him being a good, you know, young player of, of tabletop games was like, oh, I'm going to move this. So you have to waste an action to go move to it to then put your banner down. So I had a plan for that other action, yep. but now that got taken away because of his decision. So there's a lot of that in this game where you want to figure out how to use your actions to get you points and also deny your opponent 
their points. It's very much like Malifaux in the schemes where you know what they're trying to do, kind of. And how are you best going to use your actions to get what you want, but also deny them what they want? So, James, I'm going to phrase it a little bit differently for you. So um, and this is stuff you and I've talked about before. Um, when I listen to somebody talk about Malifaux um, and let's say they just got done with a tournament game and they lost and they said, you know, man, uh, you know, it, I had one bad flip. And as soon as I hear that phrase and that's the excuse being used for why they lost the game, it, it helps me gauge where that player is as a player. Right. Because um, the more you play Malifaux, the better you get at Malifaux. You realize that, yeah, one flip may have gone bad. That black joker on the summon was devastating. But you didn't you didn't do things well before then, if that's where you lost the game, right? So I'd be curious, James, if, if you make a mistake or if the dice go against you, what is it in the game that allows you to still stay in it? Or can you be devastated by one bad choice or one bad roll? Um. No, you can't. Okay. You can't. And, and a lot of the time, because you can think about these things going into a decision. So um, you tend to roll enough dice in God tier with, you know, with, with predictable enough results that you can know the odds of an action succeeding before you start. So you can go, well, this is an 80% to go off. This is a, a 45% to go off. You can be pretty confidently go, on average, this will or won't work, or, or no rough chance of the failure, you know, the likelihood of, the, of success or failure. And you can hedge for that. So there are times where, uh, I'll give you an example the elf archer, Lawsan, um, whenever she wounds somebody, she gets to move a hex. So there'll be quite often situations where she needs to do, needs to go, um, go trample a banner. She needs to go move over an enemy's banner to remove it. And do you, you can think about, okay, well, do I want to use the advance action? I can just take a big walk action in Malfoy, walk over the banner, and it's done. Mm-hmm. Or do I want to try shooting this person? And if I if I hit and wound them, then I'll get over the banner for free, and I've got the two for one. I've got the damage out there and the banner. And so you can, you can structure your turn. So you can go, okay, well, I'm going to try that, and then if I miss, then I'll take the advance action. Or you can you can pick the right target for that so that you're much more likely to succeed. Um, or you can choose not to take the risk. Um, and so the odds are reasonably predictable um, in God tier and, and to the point you can have a, have a good enough idea of that. And everything else, there's, there's not a lot of randomness. You know, the randomness is a to hit roll and a to damage roll. Okay. Um, and they're predictable enough that you can hedge your decision making to a point where you can understand what will or what happened. Yes, there are bad rolls, but over the course of a game, I, I can't find, I've yet to find a game, even games where I felt I got particularly unlucky at points um i can look back and go well here here's mistake one two three four you know it's it, it's it's easy enough in That's hindsight good. to go back and go these this is where the decision making led me to a position where i needed the dice i also like what uh i i have a good friend that he he also used to run a guild ball uh podcast but he um he's a very thoughtful guy and he thinks about and a gameplay and how to use use kind of i don't know i want to say psychology but he he thinks about that kind of stuff in a psychological manner on how to get your opponent to make bad decisions so i talking to him i've i've really seen that a lot in god tier where i'll do something like i'll place my banner in a spot where it's like well you can either go squash this banner so i don't get four points or you can go kill try to hit this model yep or you can try to hit these followers and you know 
they have to make a decision. Am I going to spend my action and waste it squashing this banner or am I going to go get this thing? So you, you create this interesting fork where now they have to make a decision and then either way that they pick, I usually have a plan on, okay, if they do that, I'm going to do this. If they do that, I'm going to do this. So you start to really get into player agency that way. So here's something, and I'll start with Pete, but I want your thoughts too, James. Um, bad matchups, right? So they can happen. Um, and part of what makes me... Uh, <laughs> I got a story for this. ...really know whether uh, a game is going to have legs for me or not is is how bad can it be and how common is it? So one thing I like about Malifaux is there's definitely counters. Um, there's bad matchups, but there's very extreme cases where you can say, okay, this guy brings this crew, this guy brings that crew. And it, you know, he's toast, you know, he, he's in a lot of trouble, uh, you know, uh, Euripides against Rasputina or something like that. Right. Um, but generally speaking, um, you can have favorable matchups, but you don't have the hard counters, um, which is not true of a lot of other games. So let's pretend Pete, you and I, um, cause I'm going to end up playing this stupid game. Uh, now thanks um so you and i got to schedule an online tutorial um yeah because i want you to teach me so that uh, james can beat me um there you go <laughs> uh i pick my four champions you pick your four champions and we put them out in front of each other and immediately you're like oh craig this is this is bad <laughs> this is these are this is a bad matchup um how often is that happening? Is there ways that it's mitigating the game? Um, how often is that going to happen? Okay, so I'll I'll come to that in a second. But I just so we've been playing this Malifaux online vassal league, right, Craig? Right. And I had my first one for this league, and I was playing Hamlin because I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to play Hamlin. You know, it's the plague league. Haha, it's all funny and cute. <laughs> I'm playing against Guild, and he played Dashel, and I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, I want to put schemes down, and he's going to, you know, steal my schemes. <laughs> and then we drop our list, and then he's like, oh, by the way, I got a second master, Sonia, coming. Oh. I'm, like, I'm like, oh, now you have blast markers. <laughs> And it was wedged, and I was wedged into this funnel between two buildings. And I'm like, the, I knew the game was done. We played it out, and it was fun, but it wasn't a close game. Uh, a, few cor- <laughs> a few corpse markers for Dashiell as well. <laughs> yeah. So going back to dropping the four champions, Steamforge has said very specifically that there are counters for each champion. They said, we design it where there is a silver bullet for each champion. That and to be each- clear, Pete, I like that, right? Yeah. So I like that, but I don't want to, I, what I'm trying to figure out is there a situation where, you know, once you saw so- Sonia was the second master, you're like, yeah, we know how this is going to play. So there, there's not a time though, because you have three champions. So even if you bring the silver bullet against my champion, I still have a chance to win the game because I can use my other two jam- champions to help screen I can use uh, maybe a flanking position. Uh, maybe I you deploy first, so I wait to see where you put that champion that is going to cause a lot of headaches. Plus, even though there are some really bad matchups, since there are other ways to win the game, like let's say I have a Slayer and I'm like, oh, this is just a terrible matchup because he's bringing you know, this model. I can still be like, well, you know what? I'm still going to bring the Slayer because you know I like the Slayer and that's my best option. But now maybe instead of focusing on attacks so heavy, maybe I'm putting down a banner, uh, doing claim actions. Maybe I'm killing followers instead of champions. So there's other ways to make that model do stuff without, you know, totally being useless. You're not going to have that effect when you when you play the game. What's your take, James? 
Yeah, I mean, I'd agree with a lot of that. I'd probably, I think, I think for me, there's probably a couple of sides to it. They're absolutely counters, and I think that 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 will work because I think that's where the meta ends up is, is figuring out what everyone else is going to play and bring enough stuff to counter that. Um, game to game, I think when we're talking about counters, it's probably important to recognise these aren't probably ninety five percent win counters. You know, sort of, it's not. You know, you brought this against me. That's the game is now ninety five percent to you. I, I don't think it's, it's anything like that extreme. Um, I would say probably part of the way, the only time you're going to get locked out, I think, is if you've deliberately or, or sort of if you've, if you've taken a combination of things as a very, you know, as specific counter. Right. So if you brought, for example, so recently at a, I had a recent tournament before lockdown, um, the first round turned out to be quest, which requires a lot of running. Um, my opponent brought three guardians, which are incredibly slow, um, uh, and it therefore sort of set up a position where their composition of champions was very weak to you know to a, a single set of scenarios so you can yeah. probably create a composition that is very weak to something in a well-rounded composition of champions you would pick okay well i'm bringing this champion this champion has some weaknesses therefore i'm going to need something that covers those weaknesses in the rest of my composition because when you're looking at competitive play you're bringing four and benching one yep so it's okay Bringing this combination, you know, these two champions. What do I need in my other two champions in order to be able to to sort of to mitigate that if if my opponents brought certain things? So you start to think about the matchups up front, and therefore, okay, what do I do if it's this? Right. You know, if they've got this over here, who do I need to bench, or how do I have the right stuff on the table in order to sort of mitigate? And I think a lot of it becomes that interlocking mitigation and not. But it is abs- I think it's possible to put together a combination of champions that would have a very bad day. Right. But I think that's entirely avoidable. Well, what it sounds like, James, correct me if I'm wrong, it sounds like it could be a self-inflicted wound. That if you if you yeah, silo absolutely. yourself too much, then you're just asking to get hard countered. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and you know, it's certainly not as bad as it would be in Malifaux. In some of the, the scenarios, there are situations you can set up in a game of Malifaux where you, you've got no chance of winning before you've deployed. Right. That doesn't happen in God tier. Um, but not... And, and certainly... I think it's easier to avoid in God tier than possibly it is in Malifaux. Um, um, I would, yeah. It, it, the main thing is about creating a composition that doesn't have, you know, huge glaring weaknesses where if your opponent brings a certain thing, you'll, you can have a bad day. So I want to take a couple of minutes, guys, to talk a little bit about the hobby stuff. But before we do that, um, James, just, um, I'd be curious, and, and of course, you know, most of my listeners are Malifaux players. Um, I would be curious, James, what do you miss about Malifaux? So if, if you pay 10 games of God tier... What are things where you go, you know what, you know, I still, I, I kind of miss this when I play Malifaux. What, what, do, what does Malifaux bring that God Tier doesn't? Because I think we've covered a lot of things that God Tier brings that Malifaux doesn't, right? Yeah, um, I, I think the things Malifaux has that God Tier doesn't, I mean, you know, strategies and schemes, I think the way, the interlocking nature of those means there's a lot more variation in objective set, um, which you don't get in God Tier. Um, I think, you know, you don't have... You know, your list building in God tier is on the face of it, bring four things. You have to think really right. carefully about those four choices. But, you know, for a tournament, the answer is bring four things. So you do lose some of, of that. Um, and, and there are dice, and, you know, and dice can be cruel. <laughs> so, you know, those are probably the elements I, I miss. And to be clear, I've not left Malifaux. You know, I, you know, I will absolutely return to Malifaux at some point. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that's uh, those are probably the things I would call out. See, I thought I thought I saw uh, Malfo's garbage.com got registered. I thought that was yours, James. So I guess it wasn't. <laughs> 
Oh, no, I've, I've always said when I'm the day when the day finally comes, I'm done with Malfoy. I will fade quietly um, and graciously yeah. into the night. That's not uh, rage quit is not my style. Um. Yeah, it's it's funny that uh, good good reference too. Um, yeah, it's funny. I um, you know when people saw me starting to talk about Marvel Crisis Protocol, they started seeing me painting it and stuff like that. I got a lot of PMs from people going, "Are you not playing Malfoy anymore? You're not playing Malfoy?" And I'm like. I got to tell you, it is going to take one hell of a game to scratch every itch that Malifaux scratches. Um, uh, but it, it's okay to have some action on the side too, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, I refer to it as my annual hobby wobble, right? Like yeah. about once a year, I take three months off. Um, yeah. I mean, in, fact, in the past, I've taken a whole year off Malifaux. Like I, I have, you know, I, I come and go. Um, yep. and, and that's that's not uncommon for me. No, and, it, and it's good for you. So um, I'm... Also a fan of uh, both of these guys' painting. Um, I follow them on social media, and I enjoy seeing what they paint. So just real quick, Pete, for you, um, what's your take on the sculpts? So the sculpts are, I like them a lot because the champions are a a 50 mil scale. So they're bigger. They're not, Malifaux, I love the models, but some of them are just tiny, and it's hard to draw out some of the details sometimes. Uh, the champions have a lot of great detail and there's not a lot of mold lines. Usually you only find maybe one good one. You got to kind of shave down or so. Uh, they're solid models. They're not flimsy. Uh, the bases have a little bit, sometimes you got to kind of, I wouldn't say warp them, but you know, there's a little bit you got to play with sometimes there, depending on the model. Um, I found that more in the starter box than the individual uh, boxes, but they paint up really well. Uh, the only thing that I don't like about them hobby-wise is they are meant to take out of the box and play, which is great. Uh, a lot of people love that, but me being the hobbyist, I hate that I have to work around a base where the model's already fixed on it because yeah. I'd like to build up the base and then put the model on it. Yep. Uh, so that's kind of been challenging for me, but it, I mean, if that's the only thing I'm going to complain about, it's <laughs> pretty, pretty good model-wise. James, have you enjoyed painting them? Yeah, I have, and I was surprised. I mean, it's not a material I've worked with before. Um, they are single, you know, they're all single piece when they arrive. Um, I, I, I suffer through rebasing them, um, so I, I do actually go in and rebase because um, I can't do with wobbly model. Um, it just doesn't, <laughs> just can't do it. But um, and I like to build up, build up the basing, so I do tend to go in and rebase mine, um, which is fine to do, um, and it's still easier than the sort of zero gravity assembly you need for some of the Malifaux, you know, sort yeah. of Malifaux stuff. There's no tweezers needed; it's a single piece. So, provided you're comfortable cleaning mold lines and and sort of get used to, it. they do paint up really nicely. They take paint really well, mm-hmm. um, and they play straight out of the box. Um, and, and so, yeah, that is good. That that comes with. Yeah, positives and negatives, that, that playing out the box. Even if you didn't want to paint these, even if you just wanted to play, playing them out of the box, they're already the color of the class that they are. That's nice. And if you are playing somebody with the same models, I mean, I have a friend that he prints uh, base identifiers, yep. and I have a store that sells base identifiers. You can get them almost anywhere on the internet. So if you don't want to paint them, just buy some base identifiers, slap them on there, and there you go. That's and cool. I reckon you could do a lot with if you if you were to spray them and contrast paint them a single color. Um, yeah, you know you could actually just make them identifiable that way. There isn't there isn't um, you know like say base identifiers is any any number endless numbers of ways of doing them. They, I've heard Dean Ford say they were designed to take contrast paint. And I can believe that the sort of the the sort of they are they do have that nice kind of. 
Yeah. You, you can put as much or as little work into them as you want. So I'm, I'm sort of, I'm kind of finding a mid ground between um, what I would do for, for the followers, between what I, you know, probably doing less than I would do for Malify. Right. Um, yeah. Cause I, I got Ringosh in front of me and I mean, literally right now he just has a red contrast and a black contrast paint on him. And I mean, I'm going to go further, obviously, but you could just put that on the table and it'd look, look good. Look pretty good. Um, so people to ask me, you know, should I get into Malifo? One of the, one of my uh, pitches is you get a lot of game for your buck. Um, the, the price of entry to Malifo is pretty low. I, I, I have the same pitch for Marvel crisis protocol. I think it's the best $79 you can spend in the hobby right now is that starter set. You get more in that Marvel starter set than you get in any starter set I've ever seen. Um, James, what's your take as far as, um, entry level and just price? Um, how expensive is this? And do you feel like you're getting a good, uh, uh, bang for your, uh, pound? I was just going to Google uh, my, my FLGS's pricing just to, to refresh myself. But basically you need, you know, you can start playing from the, the game sort of starts getting interesting, um, two aside, two champions aside and sort of three aside. So if you want, you need three champions to come in a starter box, you need a starter box. So a starter box and one expansion and, and you sort of, you're good to go, um, you don't have to buy anything you're not going to use. So um, you, you can absolutely scratch the completionist hitch and just buy all the things, as I obviously have done. Um, <laughs> but you can, so failing that, you know, you just, just pick what you want to play with and it can kind of expand in the same way that Malifaux can expand out. You start with a crew you want, you find something you right. want to expand into. You do absolutely the same in God too. So you can start from a starter box and a, a, a single champion expansion. You, you're pretty much good to go for a full-size game, which is dead easy. And then... You can start to expand um, out whichever way, um, whichever way you want. Um, so yeah, money-wise, I, I, I'm not not a particular problem. And everything you need comes in the star box. So. That's big. That's big. Yeah. Now, Pete, one of the challenges Weird has is uh, having product for you to buy. Um, one of the challenges Steamforged has had in the past with Guild Ball is having product to buy. Um, how hard, if I decide right now, as soon as we get done recording this, that I'm going to go buy the starter box or pick up my expansions, are they on the shelves um, in the carts? Yeah, I've, I've actually been surprised. You can even go on a Steamforge store site and the God tier stuff with the exception of the, they had a sale going on for um, for the Chicago convention there. Um, Adepticon. Yeah, thank you. They, they had a sale on there for Adepticon. And obviously that sold out because people bought into it, but all the starters champions that are available are on there. And I've gone on to third party sites, even my local game store, which traditionally cannot get guild ball stuff in just because of how pain in the butt it is to get it has gotten God tier stuff and actually putting in a new order this week. So that's they, great. So the problems they've been having, apparently they've learned from with God tier guild balls. There's, God bless them. There's still some guilds you can't get, but yeah, it's it's frustrating. But uh, God tier apparently that faction of the company they've learned their lessons and taken their lumps and they've moved forward. It looks like well, that's good because it, and it's a nice bounce back because I know that there were some challenges at the Kickstarter phase of this game um, and they faced some pretty pretty yucky delays. Um, I was very happy to see for them because I want companies to succeed in this hobby. Yeah. Um, I was very concerned that those delays were going to kill the game. And I had friends that were play testing and part of the play test group for this game. that kept coming to me and saying, Craig, wait till this God tier comes out. It's really, really good. I saw the problems they were having in the Kickstarter and I was like, boy, oh boy, I hope this doesn't kill it. And it doesn't look like it has. It's not, it seems stronger today 
than it was even during the hype of the Kickstarter. Um, guys, this was this was great, um, except the fact that I'm going to be about you know 100 bucks down after this. Um, <laughs> but luckily, uh, during quarantine, it sounds like the, the online experience is pretty good. So maybe it I is. can talk one of you guys into kind of walking me through it because uh, you've definitely have piqued my interest. But before we go, James, do you have any plugs or shout outs? Um, yeah, well, you know, if, you, if you're looking to buy God Tier and you're in the UK, um, Leodis Games, they, they've got plenty in stock. They keep restocking it because it keeps flying off the shelves, but they're my, uh, my, my FLGS. They've been brilliant through the, you know, through this time, um, daily updates and keeping going. And so I'd really recommend them. Um, uh, I have a blog now about God Tier, uh, which is called Blog Tier. If you Google that or it's, um, it'll come up, um, and that's linked to, from you know from the facebook pages and that sort of thing so that's well that's hopefully worth a look worth a read um aiming to keep that going so probably those two things and there are if you keep an eye on battle ladder which is the long shanks equivalent for for um for god tier there are tournaments running in the online god tier system nice. at the moment so that is well worth keeping keeping a look out for those um they've been fun i've got the final of, of the first one tomorrow um, as we speak so Fingers crossed for a good match there. And uh, yeah, that's about it from me. <laughs> that's good. Um, so James, I'm going to have a link to your blog um, uh, in the show notes. And for those of you that are listening that play God tier or going to play God tier, I have not read a single post on that blog, but I guarantee it's worth your time. Um, uh, I, James uh, has yet to steer anybody wrong when it comes to uh, his take on uh, strategies. Uh, Pete, you don't have any plugs, right? Oh, I got all the plugs. <laughs> Uh, well, first off, J- James blog, uh, he kind of did his first post was kind of just like kind of a general, like what he wanted to do, but his last one was actually really good. It was talking about, um, kind of realizing when you lost the turn or when the turn's been decided and some pitfalls players fall into. So I definitely recommend that. Cause I, I read that and I was like, yeah, this is, it, there needs to be more God tier content. I think there slowly is because people are starting to catch on how good the game is. And being a tabletop podcast with the Rage Quit Wire, we actually have kind of started to slide that way a little bit. We talk about kind of like you, Craig, we do a lot of different games, but it used to be mostly focused Guild Ball. And now it's kind of leaning more towards God tier just because, I mean, we've interviewed one of the developers, Jamie, over it. We're starting to go through. We did a how to play. So if you want more details, how to play the game, you can check out our podcast. Uh, and we're doing a series now of each of the class breakdowns. We did the Slayer champion class and one that is probably going to be out way before this one goes. Cause Craig's got more in the can than I do. <laughs> um, we'll have another one about the, uh, actually by the time Craig gets us out, I mean, we might have all of them. Out <laughs> we don't, we don't plan as far ahead as, as Craig goes. So, um, but that just shows you how, how much Craig does. Um, so yeah, just check out our podcast, Rage Quit Wire. We're doing a lot of painting tutorials on our YouTube channel. We're starting to do more gameplays, so we're developing that. And we have a Patreon as well, which Craig is a patron of the show because apparently he likes hearing Chris and I argue. Uh, <laughs> so if you, want, if you want to help support, we're actually just changing up the tiers where there's going to be different levels. Uh, one's going to be cheaper because obviously uh, people are stretching their buck a little further now. And we got new dice that are going to be available here soon. So give us a give us a look if you like some raging and some arguing. That's kind of more of our style. So yeah, and you guys got a taste of it on my podcast when you guys were guests. Um, yeah. but it really wasn't the full rage quit wire experience. <laughs> um, I uh, I'm gonna you know uh, 
pet you guys a little bit like I did before. Um, you, you guys put out some, some of my favorite content, and part of it is because you you and Chris have a very unique voice. Um, and uh, I know what I'm going to get uh, when I listen to your episodes, um, and I'm going to get some very uh, unequivocated opinions. And um, but they're they're not just hot takes; they're opinions that that are qualified, which I really enjoy. And I gotta say, Pete, I've been kind of digging the paint and stuff, man. Um, Thanks. You're I like, starting I, we to got get the your new, groove. Uh, yeah, we got the new camera view yeah. thanks to the uh, patrons. So we got this kind of overhead view now instead of this awkward kind of angled one I, I had the first dozen times. Yeah, yeah it's really kind of neat, Pete, watching you kind of go through the pro- the, the uh, progression. Um, and each each time you're doing one, it gets better and better. And it's well worth your time, whether you're playing God tier or not. Um, Pete does uh, some pretty good knowledge drop on that. And, and something that I've also been doing that I think is more entertaining than just me. Because sometimes I paint and people leave comments and that's fine. But we've also been doing these paint parties where I have one or two guests on. And we literally just sit there and talk about games while we paint. And you can see what I'm painting. You can see what they're painting. So go back and check those out. And the next time we do them, I usually give about 24 to 48 hours notice when I'm doing them on the Rage Quit Wire Twitter and Facebook page. So just be on the lookout if you like that kind of stuff. Well, and I appreciate all the times you've invited me to do that with you, you jerk. Okay, listen, you you know there's an open invitation. You just got to say, hey, you want to do something, and I'm there. All right, guys. Um, thanks again, and for those of you that stuck to the end, I appreciate you listening. Take care. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Twitch so you don't miss the avalanche of content we create. Links are in the show notes. Be sure to check out our shop on thirdfloorwars.com for the latest in gaming apparel and gear. There you'll also find the latest information for the U.S. Faux Tour. Find out where you rank in your conference or even in the entire United States. Get those models built, painted, and ready so we can see you at the next U.S. Faux Tour Masters event. Please take a moment to write a review of this pod on your favorite platform. Rating and reviewing helps us find more listeners almost as cool as you are. Be sure to share this feed with all of your friends who love tabletop gaming. Thanks for listening. Howdy folks, Craig here. Now if you love gadgets as much as we do, you're going to love the new Third Floor Wars Gadget Bundle from Schooner Labs. Branded with the logo of your favorite podcast, it comes with two measuring multi-tools, a compass stepper for those tight and important movements, along with a compact dashboard to track your turn, strat, and scheme scoring along with your soul stones and pass tokens. It is the perfect bundle for anyone who plays Malifaux or just wants to look cool while doing it. The link is in the show notes. Check them out and help support your favorite gaming podcast. Oh, God. I like having you guys on the show. (laughs) All right. Just keep it flowing. See what I mean, James, about the video, how the video kind of helps the conversation? Yeah, because, yeah, I mean, you can yeah, see no, when no, people no, are speaking. Yep.
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, what I've got to avoid doing because my mic's too close to me is I've got a bad habit of gesticulating on conference calls. <laughs> I also, I've, I've bought a screen cover. In fairness, I, I looted one for. I've got a Tableau branded um, webcam cover now because I did. I did. It was quite. It was quite warm in the spare room where I'm working from, um, and, and I had a terrible moment of panic the other day when I was on a conference call. And I was also changing into shorts. And I was like, oh God, the webcam's not on. Is it? Have you? Speaking of which, have you seen that Skype uh, thing that went viral, where somebody had their camera on and she went to the loo? Oh yikes! No. Yeah. No, so it's a woman. She's like, she's on the call, and you can see her turn her camera off, right? And and there's like and there's like ten people, right? So you got ten little screens, and then for whatever reason, her camera comes back on. And I don't know if it was voice activated or not. She's talking, and she is—you can tell she set the camera like on a little shelf in front of her, and you can't see anything. But she's on the toilet, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> oh my god, like that's nightmare fuel. <laughs> nightmare. Yeah. So there's a famous BBC News one as well of someone sort of a contributor who's working from home. I mean, pre before all this, it's a year or two old, and, and his kid coming in, and then the, the wife trying to recover oh, the kid that, from yeah. the room. Oh, I've seen that. Causing, that one's great. Yeah. You know, there's some there's some absolute horrors. But yeah. You know, at the moment, everyone's working from home, and it, it, it's crazy. You know, I got, um, I was on, I was on. I, I've got a husband who works for me, and, and the wife works for somewhere, works for the same company somewhere else, uh, in another division. And I was live with, um, live with, with him, screen sharing because I was helping with a tech problem. You know, probably got with the piece of work he was doing. And the judge just get a, me- and they've got a two-year-old who they're trying to manage between <laughs> them. And I just see this message pop up in the, uh, on, on, on sort of on Skype in the corner of his his work window. T- tell him to fuck off. You need to deal with. <laughs> just, that's why you have like two brilliant. screens yeah brilliant brilliant uh, mate. <laughs> that's why you share the application yeah, not the whole screen yep. <laughs> that's funny yeah we it's ended right. up we ended up having to hire somebody um we, my wife and i tried um with my my little girls in kindergarten and after two weeks it just it wasn't fair to her um yeah. so we ended up hiring somebody who's now coming to the house every day um for our sanity, but also for hers. Yeah. I mean, at, at six years old, you can only spend so much time with your freaking parents. It's so difficult. Yeah. We've got that. What, what I've done now is my my guy's splitting his shifts. So he's he works first thing and last thing. Yeah. And his wife works during the day and they yep. kind of swap. That's, that's so difficult right now. It'll be very interesting 10 years from now, all the psychological studies on this generation mm-hmm of kids, school-aged children that, you know, missed all of this. And and yeah. the effect is going to, it's there's going to be permanent effects here. Okay, but anyway, that's not what we're mm-hmm. talking about. So let's bring us back. So on this segment for Game Mechanics, guys, um, again, we're not going to teach the game. I just want to talk about stuff that turns you on. What are things that that, that make, are in the game that, that you like, okay? Good. Um, and I'll start with you, James, if that's all right. And I'll bring us back. Is your uh, is that your cue to edit that out? Yeah, it's funny you say that. Like it, it has inadvertently become like a visual cue when I'm editing. Nice. So I'll see. Yeah. I know exactly what that looks like. And, and when I'm editing, <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to cut this one, or I effed up. Um, yeah, you know, I can see I, that in mine, but I do it with audio because obviously we don't have video format. But um, yeah, I'll see like a break or a spike or one that looks like an um. I'm like, okay, that's where we're editing that out. I used to, I mean, I know what my ums look like um, when I'm editing, but I do it so often that I just can't. Oh, trust me, Craig. I, I know from the episode we had John, 
I was like, God damn, Craig, how many? <laughs> like, and, and, and I tr- I tried to be self-aware of it. No, no awareness whatsoever. That's fine. That's fine. We got you. Where it's worse is when I'm GMing. Like, if you go listen to some of my live play stuff of me running uh, the Star Wars games, like, it's, it's effing painful. Well, I think, like, where, I think where I noticed it is the more prepared you are, the less you have it. Yeah. And then, like, when you were on ours, we didn't really have an agenda, so you, you were just kind of thinking off the top of your head, and there was a lot more because of that. Very cool. Well, guys, when we... Uh, I'm... So, guys, we're going to take a quick break. When we get back... Rage Quit Wire podcast. It is one of my favorite shows. And Ultimate Power. God Tier is a tabletop. God Tier is a tabletop. Hey, are you still here? Look, uh, podcast is over and you sat through all of the breaks and bloopers well i mean if you're here might as well run over to patreon.com and become a supporter don't forget to rate and review this podcast too while you're at it on whatever platform you're listening to i do appreciate you sticking around take care